Hello and welcome to Energy Extra Time. I'm Sean McGill and on episode number 13 it's unlucky for me as I'm just joined by my usual co-host Cameron Wanstall. How are you my man? I'm good. Yourself? Not not too bad. This is um, the my first podcast from the new house that I've oh, been yeah. mm-hmm. uh, meant to move into for about a year now, somewhere. Mm-hmm. Nah, yeah. um, so, Finally there. Yeah, so we what, we we sold our house, our old house, a million times, and then just like things fell through. So we eventually yeah. got out of that in January, and it was meant to be move into this one on, and I think it was the twenty seventh of March, and then lockdowns was the twenty twenty third of March. Yeah. So we just, we're just time, we were just renting somewhere. And it just meant to be for a couple of months, and we ended up staying there for six months. But you had Wi-Fi and you could do the podcast. Exactly, that's, that what, was, that's what got exactly. me through. Every time I think about, I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere. I've got no friends here. Mm-hmm. There's a health pandemic going on. I knew that I could do the podcast every week with you. So exactly. Exactly. I got I got through. It's all that matters. What have you been doing? Just drilling over Patrick Mahomes' new contract to the at the Chiefs. That's pretty much it. I couldn't believe that yesterday. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I I would love to see like. Do you think footballers' contracts are even close to that? They aren't, are they? You never no, get I think Americans, deals or anything. I, no, I, I'm, in, I'm really into my NFL, as you know, but I've got a pal who's um, more into it than me, my pal Ollie, and I was saying to him, is this normal to get a 10-year contract? I didn't know yeah. if that was like sort of oh. standard for maybe for I quarterbacks, because I know for the most part, your explosive players have quite short NFL careers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he said Top even a 10-year deal is pretty mad, and the numbers, like $503 million over yeah. the 10 years. Is it years. not like $140 million guaranteed if he gets like an injury or something? I might get that wrong, but I'm sure that's uh, why, so yeah, it sounds well, about right. There's like, got to be something, because, I mean, surely, I mean, a quarterback's yeah, knee could go at any time, if he exactly. gets sacked at the back when he's about to make a play, and wow. if you're still guaranteed to pay him £500 million, that's pretty crazy, so... Or well, dollars, our football podcast, by the way, I mean, <laughs> American it's, football and houses. It's kind of the right, we got closer, it was houses, yes. and now at least we're on to sport, exactly. and I guess we should exactly. maybe get on to... I suppose, football to. now. Uh, <laughs> the time to officially get excited about a new season is the exact moment the fixtures come out and that's absolutely the case in the Scottish Premiership as the SBFL released the games and dates ahead of the new Top Flight campaign kicking off on the 1st of August. It's a tough start for Hearts, isn't it, Cameron? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> they don't want to say it to that. <laughs> oh, that's a low blow. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, not got too long to wait, just a couple more months and then you'll yeah, find out God. who you're playing as in I've, October. As I have said to you, yeah. I am so glad I don't have to worry about Hearts for another few months. Just a I'm wee break. I'm so glad. Yeah, a wee break from them. It's it's necessary, you know. Just can't put up. Some good news to be fair, but I suppose we'll get onto that later, I guess. Yeah, and so as a neutral for this, when you're not, I mean, I imagine another. Um, seasons you're immediately checking when are the Edinburgh Derbies, when are Rangers and Celtic coming to Tynecastle, all those mm-hmm. s- sorts of things. Uh, when you've not got that sort of invested interest, what do, what were you looking at yesterday as the fixtures came out? To be honest, mainly just the opening games. Um, I didn't look too far into it. I looked to sort of when the old firms were, what was going on around like Christmas, you know, like that sort of time where you're sort of usually in the house, you can watch the football, um, like New Year's games, that sort of stuff. Um, Usually you've only just told me about Kelly just now, but yeah, the opening, the opening couple of fixtures, um, that's what's really exciting, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you want to know who you're going to be playing that first. So usually it's to see if you could travel to it. It'd be perfect for me to at least we him a game for Kelly, but yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously that won't be the case as uh-huh. of yet. But as you said, we, Kelly have a horrendous run in uh, first seven games have got to play Hibs, Celtic, Rangers, Dundee United and Aberdeen as mm-hmm. well as away to County at home to St Johnston so it's not going to be 
no, an easy not. start for us and we definitely need to get some players in uh, and Celtic have a pretty solid start but for, for, for Aki's I think that's perfect because they're still not going to be as match fit as they usually would be at this point Celtic have usually played Champions League qualifying games um, mm-hmm. and stuff yeah. like that that won't be the case and you get to go to Celtic Park and you don't have to deal with that atmosphere it's an empty stadium exactly it's, it, it's a lot less pressure yeah. as we've seen in other leagues that sometimes it means that the, the dominant team has more of the ball and it really tires those teams out but I just think that if there was any time you're going to go to Parkhead or Ibrox you'd want it to be in this sort of uh, closed doors era yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. Um, it is. It's just a lot less pressure in that case, and they can go there knowing that they have their best chance of result at Parkhead probably ever. But if they don't get it, not the end of the world, you know. And a lot something that caused caused a lot of control controversy yesterday, um, and it's something that everyone kind of looks for, isn't it? The, the old firm and when that's going to be. Um, yeah. But the fact that it was so late on in August, the first old firm game, and that's most likely to accommodate the or to bolster the chances of fans, at least some amount of fans, being in the stadium for that. Daryl Curry, the B, uh, BT Sport presenter, sort of tweeted out saying, I wish I had a random computer that gave me everything I wanted. Were you <laughs> as sort of outraged or annoyed at the fact that uh, the fixtures have been set out to very much accommodate Celtic and Rangers? Um not not really, I get, it, I get it, you don't want anything to be tinkered with, you want it to be as fair as possible, you want it to be how it should be natural, if they want to have a normal 38 game season, they should have a, fair, a normal 38 game season, but at the end of the day you understand like, the old firm is the the major fixture in the SPFL, there's not going to be a Dundee derby, there's not going to be an Edinburgh derby um, this season as it stands, A lot. I don't see any other big rivalries in this league um, so you've got to accommodate for the only one that's left, the one that does bring in the money. And I'm I'm not really shocked that it happened. I think everyone could see it coming. Um, personally, I'm not too fussed about it. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm, it really didn't bother me at all. Um, I just think that I would like to see as many fans as possible in uh, in the stadiums for old firm games. I think that's what really makes old yeah, firm exactly. games. And we've got this new partnership with Sky Sports. They're showing more games. Um, they look to be showing more games because of the situation and all that sort of stuff. And I think they didn't they didn't demand massive amount of money back for the deal that um, obviously we had to stop games this season. I think why not give the the broadcaster the benefit of the doubt and let them have the best broadcasting experience they possibly could by having fans in the stadium, have it meaning more. And yeah, they're the biggest teams, and sometimes I do uh, it does annoy me that the fact that the old firm are pandered to but I think in this situation that it's yeah. just the best for all parties in Scottish football more generally exactly yeah 100% agree and it was a particularly exciting day for Dundee United fans on Monday as they didn't just get a new set of fixtures but they also got a new man at the helm as Mickey Mellon was officially announced as the club's new manager on a three year deal the 48 year old Scott joins from Tranmere Rovers, having previously led the Merseyside club to back-to-back promotions before seeing his side relegated back to the fourth tier on a points-per-game basis as the League One season was curtailed last month. What were your initial thoughts at Mickey Mellon getting the Dundee United job? Um, good good appointment, to be fair. You've said there, back-to-back promotions. He's had it with former clubs Fleetwood and Shrewsbury as well. Like he's, he's Success has followed him wherever he's went. Um, seems like a good like man manager. That's what I've heard anyway. That's exactly what Dundee United team uh, the team needs. They don't really have 
the greatest squad, but they're a big enough club that they need to be sort of motivated to reach heights they maybe wouldn't with the players that they've got, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, I think I think a really good manager. I think Tranmere probably would have to keep a hold of him, but because of what's happened, the early relegation, um, I think they probably decided to just cash in on him. I think he had one year left on his deal, so just get a bit of compensation, and hopefully that helps them with whatever's going on down there, like a, a really troubling time for the club. And how tough a job do you think it would be to sort of assess his squad, identify its strengths and weaknesses, and then bring in suitable additions or put in the sort of style of play he wants to with just over three weeks to go before the start of the new season? Uh, really difficult. Like Dundee, they've, they maybe got some money for Robbie Nielsen from Hearts, but let's be honest, this is a team that we're going to move on to in a minute, has a big legal battle to pay for and it's likely they've got no money left over um, for the club. They'll hopefully want to keep Lauren Shankland. I think everything rides on him staying fit and staying at the club. Um, he is so essential to that team. They have some like good young players, Louis Aperi and such, but uh, their midfield and defence isn't too solid. It's not that brilliant. Um, I think it's a big task on his hands, but I think all of a sudden United were maybe thinking last season before all this that they'd be pushing for a top six spot or whatnot, but now they're maybe just hoping to stay in the league and build towards something in the future with him at the helm. It's interesting to point with Mickey Mellon because I feel like every time there was a a vacancy in the lower leagues, if you're watching Sky Sports News or reading stuff or looking at betting odds, he's always linked to yeah um, these sorts of jobs, uh, and he wasn't sort of something you're initial thinking for uh, the Dungeon United job. Despite being Scottish, so obviously he'll be aware of the size of Dundee United and what the fans' expectations will be. He has played and coached his entire career in England, so you don't know what his knowledge of the Dundee United squad yeah. will be, what the knowledge of the league will be, how other teams fare, all those sorts of things. And a lot of the other candidates that United will have spoken to would have probably had a better knowledge of that. Um, but I think the positive thing to take from this appointment is the league now has a crop of young and varied managers. You know, it's not yeah. the usual suspects that we've spoke about before. That, and it's a far more oppression outlay of uh, managers uh, to sort of. Scottish football is in an exciting time just now, and let's celebrate that and let's look at these different managers rather than well, just your. Definitely, well, the other managers involved were Steve McLaren, who I think would have came up here sort of half-heartedly. Malky Mackay, who I'm not even going to discuss, yeah. and then as a Hearts man, John Daly and Austin McPhee, who I can tell you right now, not the best appointments. Definitely not at this time. Maybe in a few years or something. Um, so Mickey Mellon's definitely the out of those five or those four in himself. He's definitely the best candidate, and I think United have done really well to get him. Yeah, I imagine you and I would have been having a very different conversation if Malky Mackay had been appointed uh, the Dundee United manager. Let's not. Yeah. <laughs> let's not. Um, the excitement didn't stop there for the Tangerines. Cameron, how about you give us a completely unbiased and neutral explanation of the statement put out by United alongside Wraith Rovers and Cove Rangers yesterday? Of course, I'd be happy to. Um, I find the main point, the one that's been a stickler for reference, that it said the sport and integrity of the SPFL would be compromised if... Hearts are part of when the legal battle. Now, a lot of people have been saying that's very rich, coming from especially Rafe Rovers, who were only one point ahead of um, Falkirk with eight games to go in their promotion fight. Um, that was the main takeaway from the statement. But basically, they're asking for, they're saying their £50,000 legal battle could now turn into 150000 I think they've basically been left to fight this for the SPFL. I think those three clubs have been left to pay for this out of their own pockets, it seems. And uh, they're now pleading for the other 42 clubs to help them. 
and I think they should because if they if they do lose this, Hearts and Partick win their compensation battle. The money comes from the SPFL, and the SPFL's money is just the forty-two member clubs' money. So every other club, instead of losing maybe a hundred grand altogether, could lose potentially a, a good few million pounds, and um, it would be a real shame for Dundee United and Rafe to Cove to have to pay for this themselves. When really it, it, there was eighty-one percent of the teams voted with them, so they should all be mucking in and um, putting some of their money on the table as well. Yeah, and do you think when you're talking about it being rich and talking about sport integrity, it's also the fact that Dundee United are now calling and the other clubs involved are now calling for unity and togetherness and trying to find the best solution for everyone, which that was very much the argument put forward by the likes of Anne Budge and um, exactly. the representative part of this when they were looking for reconstruction. Exactly, it's the idea of oh, if only there was only, if only there was a solution to all this that was put forward a month or two ago, which there was. You know, I think that's where Hearts and Park are kind of just going like, well, we gave you your opportunity. Now we get what we want. Now, like you got what you want. Now we get what we need. And um, who can really blame them? You know, Hearts and Park have been really negatively affected by this when they shouldn't be. Don't get me wrong. I've said before on this podcast, Hearts were a team that won four games all season with probably the third or fourth highest budget in the league. It's just a disgrace on the pitch but the fact of the matter is they were demoted rather than relegated some would say and they need their rightful compensation and it comes from the SPFL and it's it's just the way the SPFL's run that's going to come from all the member clubs not an actual organisation and um, yeah it's I think if you're going to point fingers at anyone it would be Neil Doncaster but maybe that's a whole different story yeah, so there's certainly no love lost between Hearts and Dundee United in the courtroom and the relationship isn't much better outside of it after Robbie Nielsen swapped Tanner Dice for Tynecastle to take up a second spell as the Jambos boss. Uh, Nielsen spoke to the press yesterday for the first time and he was officially unveiled as the Hearts manager for the second time. What did you take away from his press conference yesterday, Cameron? Uh, quite a few interesting things. Um, he's... He seems really eager. It seems like, again, he's reiterated that it was an offer he couldn't turn down. I think that shows the magnitude of the size of the club at Hearts. It's a size that Aberdeen and Hibs maybe share, that if you are a manager at Dundee United, Kilmarnock, uh, Motherwell, whatnot, when these sort of clubs come in, you still it's like a manager for us maybe want to go to Celtic or Rangers. It's that kind of jump. Um, he clearly, a Hearts man, through and through, wants to come back. Probably easy for him just personally as well. Uh, say there are a few interesting things. I think he didn't rule out the fact that Sam Nicholson could return to the club. They're, apparently Hearts are looking to bolster their winger options. We really don't have much just now. Maybe Jamie Walker and a couple of youth players like Ant McDonald and Callum Morrison. Um, is Sam Nicholson still in the States? Sorry, is he... He literally, he, he mutually terminated his contract just a week or two back right. uh, for personal reasons. So he's a free agent coming back to Scotland. So um, coming back to Edinburgh, most likely. And um, yeah, there's a few players being rumoured, obviously, like getting the gang back together. Ali Mosturk's on a free from Sunderland. Yeah. I say John McLaughlin's into Rangers now. Brilliant signing for them, by the way. And um, I think Carol Lafferty's open as well, and yes. although he'd be open to a return, so there's a lot of names flying about right now. And um, Robbie Nielsen's a good enough manager to, to have the pull and power to bring them in. As much as we could go on about uh, how excited we are about Scottish football's imminent return, we should maybe talk about a league in which a ball was actually being kicked. So we'll mm-hmm. go south of the border and have a look at the big stories in the Premier League this week. We're going to do it a little bit differently this week. And we've just picked a few sort of takeaways or hot takes that uh, myself and Cameron have had over the week watching the Premier League. 
and we'll have a little chat about them, debate them, and see how we feel about them. So do you want to get us started, Cameron? Sure. Um, will we start with Manchester United? Go Is for it. I've got I've got one about United. So tell me what you what your takeaway. Well, my one's actually focused on a certain man or a certain few players. Um, mine's just f- uh, focused on Greenwood. Now, do you think that he could maybe be a world class talent from that performance? I mean, it's hard to say in an empty stadium game against a really struggling Bournemouth side, but the way he strikes a ball just gets you properly excited. That's it, both goals, yeah. And it's both feet as well, that's the thing. Exactly. Yeah, so this feeds into my takeaway that I think Manchester United are the most exciting team to watch in the Premier League right now. And I know that sounds like a big statement, but it's both ends of the park because that attacking... Uh, trio just now of Mason Greenwood, Anthony Martial, and Marcus Rashford. Um, I think because Sadio Mane scored on Sunday, I think that means Liverpool's front three now have the exact same amount of goals mm. as Manchester United's front. That front three I just said for United, and yeah. you know the praise that those three get. And so for in all competitions for United's front three to be on the same amount of goals is pretty staggering. And defensively as well, because you don't quite know what they're going to do. Sometimes it can be really strong defensive performances. Sometimes it's a bit over the place. You never know if David De Gea is going to make a world-class save or chuck the ball into his own net. Um, And it's genuine excitement around Old Trafford. And a lot of that can come from the exciting youth prospects such as Mason Greenwood. Uh, We've spoke about it um, on text the last couple of days that England's youth prospects look pretty scary. Just scary, absolutely. um, Yeah, not much fun to... To look at from a <laughs> not much from Prescott exactly. Um, I'll give you one of mine now. It's about another striker, but um, sort of at the different end of his career, if you like. Jamie Vardy is somehow still underrated despite everything mm. that he's done at Leicester. He's still the top scorer in the Premier League this season. His goals at the weekend meant that he entered the Premier League 100 club, where only 28 other men uh, reside, and he's consistently scored despite different managers, different tactical styles different players around them, you know a lot of people thought that was a flash in the pan that uh, Leicester title winning season of course it was in terms of uh, the overall success of that club, and not to say they didn't deserve it, but I just mean it's uh, it's not going to happen very often, it's 5,000 to 1 for a reason Yeah, but he still managed to score all the time, it's a very different team tactically from that team where he was scoring all the goals and he broke the consecutive Premier League goal scoring record that Ruud van Nistelrooy held and it's a lot more possession based now but they can still turn on that switch, flick the ball over the top and Jamie Vardy will be through it. and you know when he's one on one, nine times out of ten he's going to score. Yeah, definitely. Yes, you're totally right. He's still criminally underrated. Like he's he's had 101 goals in just is it six seasons, six Premier League seasons. Yeah, and obviously we all know his past. He only became a football league player just about two years before that. Um, but yeah, what a, what a story. Um, two uh, the lovely wee chip as well. How nice was his chip? Yeah, is that the hundred first goal? I think yeah, that was a lovely first. goal. Um, ironically, this hundred's goal was nothing like as usual. It was just a open goal tapping. Yeah. yeah, it's a shame it wasn't like that Liverpool goal at the volley from like forty yards on the run through the back. But and that's kind of um, indicative of how he's transformed himself as a player, especially under Brendan Rodgers. They keep the ball, uh, they play nice football, they try and get in behind and then maybe square it. And Jamie Vardy's now adapted his game again, so he can yeah. be in those positions to tap it in. Yeah. And that sort of versatility and that ability to adapt to different styles is why he's got. 100 Premier League goals and why you'll uh, always be remembered for that. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's 100%. It's not just about finishing or whatever. It's his positioning as well. His positioning and movement is probably 
it is possibly the best in the league. It's up there with like a player like Mo Salah, maybe. Like he always makes the right run at the right time, or is in the right position at the right time, and that's exactly what you want from your number nine striker. Yeah, what a player! And do you want to give us another another takeaway you had over the weekend? Uh, well, I was looking at um, Chelsea. Chelsea uh, also a three 0 win against Watford. A really good result against again like a bit like Man United, a poor team. But do you think next season they can compete with the top with the top two, no. Liverpool and City? No. You don't? Uh, no. Um, it obviously depends on the summer transfer windows, but I still think they're a fair bit off it. Um, defensively, I'm not convinced by um, the centre-half options they have. I think the best and most senior is um, Rudiger, who has kind of been, even Kurt Zuma sort of getting a game over him at points this season, despite, obviously, Rudiger has been injured. I think you can get excited about Werner and you can get excited about Billy Gilmore and all these sorts of things, but I just think they're still quite a bit off of being that level that Liverpool and City are at. I know City haven't had the best campaign and I know that Liverpool probably won't quite reach the heights they did this season, but I still think there's a lot to go before Chelsea fully bridge that gap. Well, I'm thinking a little bit more optimistic. I don't think they can actually go for the title. I don't think they'll be in the title race with, let's say, six, eight games to go next season, but I definitely think, a bit like maybe Manchester United can, that they can bridge that gap a lot more than this season. I think they'll be a shoo-in for third place, and if they get one or two more signings defensively, because a lot of other clubs won't be buying big this summer, like Liverpool, and a lot of more transfer prospects will be available because of that. Chelsea can clearly do that. They've already spent money on Ziyech and Werner or whatnot, and um they clearly have money in the bank that they're willing to spend despite all this uncertainty so I think they'll be a lot closer next season could maybe even pip a second spot if City or Liverpool sort of go off the rails just for a little part of next season I think uh, maybe one really good centre-half signing and a left-back signing I could be um, I could yeah. be eating my words next season but <laughs> right now I think that um, it's not quite there and also I've, one of my takeaways is that um, Tabby Abra- Tammy Abraham is struggling under the pressure of yeah, Timo Werner's imminent arrival because uh, obviously that's going to be a lot he's one of the most revered centre forwards uh, in European football is Werner and that's going to be a lot of pressure on a young player like Abraham who's had a really good debut season in, mm. um, in the Chelsea side but I think we can see Giroud who's a lot more confident a lot more assured he doesn't need feel the need to fight for his role and prove himself in the same way that Abraham does, and that's why Giroud's probably been starting the last couple of games, and he's been scoring goals as well, like he did against Watford on Saturday evening. I'd like to see Werner and Abraham form a partnership. I think Abraham's, like I said, had a great season, but until he sort of shows that self-confidence, that self-belief, and says, I don't care who's coming in, you're going to have to play me because I will keep scoring goals, it's going to be hard to see him in Frank Lampard's immediate plans next season. Yeah, that's a very good point. A very good point. Um, I guess I'll give one of mine now, and this is again sort of dependent on transfer uh, dealings and stuff like that. But I'm going to say that Southampton will finish in the top ten next season. Oh, that's a that's a big call, but I understand why you're making it. You want to elaborate on that? I think Ralph Hasenhutl is a fantastic manager. I mean, you sort of raise your eyebrows when you see somebody from. Uh, Leipzig, who was previously Leipzig manager, is going to come to a struggling Southampton team, and it shows the pulling power of the Premier League. But also, I think it 
shows the pulling power of the project that Southampton have had, and it's now they're now reminiscent of that those times under Maurizio Pochettino and Ronald Koeman, in the way that they've got a very rigid tactical style. They're exciting to watch. Danny Ings has been fantastic up front. We're now seeing Che Adams score his first goal for the club, and it was a fantastic goal against Manchester City. That uh, Stuart Armstrong with that press, the pressing that's become um, commonplace under this. In, under Hassan Hutto for Southampton Armstrong wins the ball high it falls to Adams and he just first time volleys it lobs it over um, Ederson and he could play for Scotland she Adams he's got um, Scottish family so hopefully yep. that I've could that, down as well. that's a wee SM fact exactly, yeah so I'd love to see him uh, line up at Hamden definitely but um, yeah, I think it's exciting squad of players like we said I mentioned Stuart Armstrong there I really wasn't sure that he was going to cut it in the Premier League I think he didn't really in those, he didn't at the start exactly yeah. mm-hmm. and he's just perfect in that wide right role he's so intelligent in the press okay. and I think Hassan was just one of those coaches um, he's been likened to Klopp but he does just make every player he coaches better yeah. and uh, that's something I think sometimes gets forgotten in modern coaching that we don't talk about the actual coaching of players and improving them as players because mm-hmm. we see them all as these superstars and they all know what they're doing themselves Um no, it's definitely about coaching. Yeah, but I definitely think that they could have a really successful season. I'm not going to say that they've pushed for Europe or anything like that, but mm-hmm. with the right sort of few additions, which I think they've got a good... Uh, we know that Hassan Hill's sort of running the show there now. I think uh-huh. uh, yeah. it could be a good campaign for the Saints next year. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say definitely top 10, but within two seasons at least. They're definitely a team that has a clear eye on the future. They're, I think people forget because they've had a few shaky seasons. Southampton are a really good club, just in general, like a club. They're, they're a very solid outfit. And um, we saw how well they done before under Pochettino and stuff. They just got they got their team stolen away from them from the likes of Liverpool and United. Um, but it looks like they're sort of fighting their way back. They've done really really well to stay in the league, and um, I I really like them. So I hope they're back fighting for Europe for a couple of seasons at least. What else do you want to give um, to the listeners? Well, I tell you what, I'll I suppose I'll I'll merge two games into one to speed it up a little bit. I'll say Arsenal beat Wolves two 0 a really good victory for them, and Spurs maybe. Not a brilliant victory, but they did beat Everton one 0 Um I was just wondering what you thought. If Arsenal or Tottenham miss out on Europe, like financially and just morally, how does that affect each of the clubs? More than likely Tottenham. Yeah, um like you said there, I do think it's it would be a bigger deal for Tottenham. I think the fact that uh, Spurs were so far away from Champions League football, European football was part of the reason that Maurizio Pochettino was sacked when he was and it's sort of became commonplace for Spurs to be in European football the last few years. I don't think... I think Spurs are in quite a good position financially. I think that... I don't think it would put Mourinho under pressure because I think they see this as a a project. I don't think it would be sacked or anything like that, but I do think there would be rumblings of discontent uh, if Spurs were to miss out. I mean, that game last night was shocking. Like, I was... I was I, sorry, beaten. I I didn't catch it. Do you want to like maybe give a little round up on it? Because I, I haven't even seen the highlights yet. I literally couldn't give you a round up on it. It was so boring. Really? Like, I think it's the worst game of football I've watched since the restart. Easily. Oof, um, it just yeah. I was just my friends were like, "Oh, do you want to come on COD?" And I was like, "No, nah, I'm going to watch the football." And I was just so annoyed at myself that I did that because <laughs> I mean, literally the only interesting bit was the fact that all or nothing Tottenham Hotspur has a good wee um, episode about the f- bust up between. Lloris and Saul, yeah. which yeah. I don't even know what it was about. And as I tweeted last night, it was nothing on Josh McGuinness' headbutting teammate Jamie Hamill uh, for how <laughs> um, in the in the Kelly Banter years. But um, yes, of course. 
yeah, Spurs, it'll be disappointing, but I don't think it's devastating. And Arsenal, even more so in that case, because I think it's, like I said, it's very much a project for Mikel Arteta. I think he has the backing. I think that um, Arsenal fans can see that despite the fact that it's a big project and it's a big task that he's got, um, Arteta's up for it. And I think that he, in the long run, it will be a successful appointment. Uh, there's a really good article in The Athletic sort of explaining that from Gunnar Blog about why he believes in Arteta's arsenal so I would recommend mm-hmm. if anyone wants to sort of get to grips with that I think they should check that one out yeah I think for both of them it'll be disappointing financially it's not great but I think Arsenal with no European commitments and Arteta being week by week able to plan for games and put his stamp on this squad I think it could be a blessing in disguise for Arsenal yeah I, that's a point I was going to make is Definitely no European football does just help a team in the long run. Uh, remember Chelsea, uh, after a title win season, finished 10th. No European football, went back out and won the league the next season. You know, it, it's amazing what that can do for a club. Yeah, and my the final takeaway I have is that Oli McBurney gets far too much criticism. Um, he didn't score at the weekend. I don't think he had a fantastic game at the weekend. But I think there was just a few people on Twitter saying that... I read one tweet that said... Um, Ollie McBurney is by far the worst striker in the Premier League and this was a, a Scottish based Twitter page Yeah, and I just think he's so often made the scapegoat for Scotland yeah. and I mean, if you look at his, he's scored big goals this year he's scored against Manchester United, he's scored against Spurs he's in a two particularly with David McGoldrick who I think is a fantastic player he's a really good sort of foil for a striker he can lay them off, his touches are really good, he's intelligent of where to be uh, he doesn't always score goals, he doesn't always really impose himself on a game I, I don't think he works as Scotland's lone number 9 I don't think he is a sole striker but I remember the criticism that came out of that, um, the Russia game last year where Scotland were beat 3-1, I was at Hamden for that game and there was no way Ollie McBurney should have got the criticism he got from that game mm-hmm. it was, the ball he, he he never touched the ball because the ball wasn't played to him. We were too busy exactly. yeah. just missing passes or Callum McGregor was passing it backwards. It wasn't Ollie McBurney's fault, but I think Scotland fans are too quick to criticise. And I think the Scottish fans looking on to Ollie McBurney in the Premier League, I don't know why they're still chasing him up. I don't think you care about Sheffield United's <laughs> results, so why are you still sort yeah. of chasing up Ollie McBurney? I just think, I don't know, people were saying that they'd rather have Sam Cosgrove in their team than Ollie McBurney over the weekend and they can just yeah. grow up. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. I think some people just don't like him personally. That's that, they're the sort of people you just can't listen to because they just because he's a Rangers was, fan. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's it. He's just <laughs> he's a bit of a character. He's a Rangers fan. Immediately, everyone hates him. Like even I'm I'm not even his biggest fan. But at the end of the day, Sheffield United are a team that get their goals from all over the pitch. Like McGoldrick, I don't even know if he scored a league goal yet, but that doesn't matter. I think he, still, he has so, got one now. Has he got one now? Yeah. Right, he's got one now. That's good because he gets even he gets so much stick. Like McBurney, it's like well, that's it. It sounds stupid. It sounds like a bit of a Craig Levine thing to say, but sometimes strikers aren't there to score goals. If your team sets up in a way that goals come from literally anywhere, from overlapping centre backs, from wing backs, from centre mids, wingers, whatever, that's okay because they're sitting in a good position in the league. Like I'm sure Chris Wilder's still happy with what he gives to them. Absolutely, and um, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, with the Scotland thing by the way he's just not a number nine on his own he's there to create for other teams uh, other teammates in a sort of attacking role where midfielders bomb forward wing backs bomb forward 
and Scotland don't do that. They rely on like wonder goals from John McGinn or Andy Robertson from 35 yards to beat teams like Cyprus. You know, it's not his fault. He's not got any good players coming in round on a good tactical setup just now. Sure, that will change under Steve Clark, but uh, he's just yeah really harshly criticised. The, the Cosgrove shout is horrendous. So and, bad. Um, <laughs> it's just. I hope it was a joke. And um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you really. Yeah, and if anyone's sort of unsure of him as a character, I thought he was a great laugh on uh, the Open Goal podcast. I think it was a Keeping the Ball on the Ground episode, I thought. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. He was a really good guy, and he's passionate, do you know what I mean? And that's what you'd, I'd rather have characters mm. in the game. And I mean, I know there was that fallout when he said, uh, was it, he was talking to John Fleck in the tunnel and saying, uh, are you going to uh, Scotland? That's and he was just like, about... oh, I have to go myself. I think that was a joke. Exactly, it does yeah, annoy yeah. you because... Anyone can make that joke. Like, the joke is probably just that, you know... Like, these sort of meetups, these national team meetups, I think it is always a bit awkward. And if you've not got anyone close to you that you know from like yeah. your current team or your former team, it is awkward. And it is like, oh, I don't really want to be here. I'd rather just show up for the games. It's clearly a joke. Yeah, I just think like it gets far too much stick. He's a decent striker. I doesn't wear shin pads, but like who cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have you got any but, other takeaways, or is that you? Well, there was only other one real game to talk about and that was Liverpool Villa wasn't it but I think maybe Villa is the more interesting team to talk about you know Liverpool I'd written down about their youngsters but I think Villa I still think Villa could stay up by the way I still think it'll be West Ham and Bournemouth um, could be wrong but I think it's important for them to hold on to Mings um, McGinn and Jack Grealish don't you think that's my real takeaway from that I don't know how if they're in the championship, you really struggle to see how likely that is. Exactly. Um, how how badly affected could they be if those three? Like, they could get good money for them. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, still, but, um, I don't know. Grealish, I hundred percent think will go if uh, Villa get relegated. McGinn and Mings are maybe more likely to stay. Um, I think McGinn showed himself in that first half of the season that he's a very competent Premier League mm-hmm. uh, midfielder. I do think. Tyrone Mings is maybe a bit overrated. I don't think he's quite well, the sort of colossus say, as some fans. I say Tyrone Mings because I think if they go down, he's he's still got an outside shot at the national team for the Euros. Obviously, Gareth Southgate seems to really like him. Yeah, he has he'll surely means. want to be. He'll surely want to be playing top level football in the run up to the Euros next season, won't he? Yeah, um, but then again, if he it depends who comes in for him because if he's not going to get minutes in sort of a lower half team and maybe a bigger team want him in the squad maybe it'd be better just having a fantastic season in the championship so yeah. um, and we've seen that Southgate isn't, doesn't like he's above picking championship players uh, Jack Butland was in his squad and mm-hmm. uh, very much rumoured that Calvin Phillips might have been if uh, football hadn't taken the break it did but um, yeah Liverpool Villa I didn't catch the game I saw the highlights Villa looked like they could put in a good performance but I don't know. I, I, I agreed with you that I thought that um, Villa might escape relegation or the most likely to out the three, but yeah. it's just they just can't pick up results. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Looking at it on paper, they really should be stayed up over West Ham and Bournemouth, but as the game's gone, even I'm becoming a little bit more sceptical. But um, I'm, I'm sticking to my guns just now. <laughs> Did you see that um, Curtis Jones became the first player to score? A Premier League goal for Liverpool with all the letters of Scouser in his name. <laughs> Who has the time to figure that out? And that's the insight you get on Energy Extra Time. I did not see that, by the way. That's a genuine <laughs> right. I did not see that. That's absolutely outstanding. <laughs> You're, welcome. You're welcome. How does how does Trent Alexander Arnold not have that many letters that make Scouser in his name? Um, because there's, there's no S. 
No S. There's no, no C. C. Like, but you know what I mean? There's so many letters in his name. And then Curtis Jones. Quite a small name that has all the letters. I mean... Baffling. That's the hot takes you get on this show. Crazy times. Crazy <laughs> times. We'll move to our European roundup. Real Madrid maintained their four-point lead over Barcelona at the top of the Liga, thanks in large part to the composure of Sergio Ramos as the Real captain scored two second-half penalties in a week against Hitafe and Athletic Bilbao to keep the title race in Los Blancos' hands. It was a much better performance from Barcelona on Sunday, however, as Lionel Messi, Luis Suarez and Antoine Griezmann put in their best performance as a trio of the season as the Catalan side ran out 4-1 winners away to Villarreal. Four points clear with four points to go as Sergio Ramos pushing Real Madrid to their first title since 2017. Seems like it. Yeah, I, I don't see them I don't see them slipping away now. Um, it sort of looks set to La Liga, to be honest. It looks like the teams that are in the Champions League spot look fairly safe in Champions League spots. Same with Europa League. Relegation looks confirmed. Um, I'd actually we'll go on to that in a minute. But um, yeah, Madrid just look like they're going to pull away. And um, Barcelona, even though they seem to have had a turning point there with that brilliant, said, brilliant performance from that trio, um, still said Madrid will be lifting that trophy, doesn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, Ramos's numbers are crazy. He scored like more La Liga goals than Ronaldinho, Xavi, oh. uh, Zidane himself, uh, and I think it's 22 or 23 consecutive penalties he's scored yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, defensively it actually wasn't great. I caught the first half of their game against Bilbao at the San Mames and um, defensively it was quite ropey and it was Eder Militao, who the first time I think I've properly watched him, was mm-hmm. really sweeping up for him and uh, showed the signs of being a really good um, option for Real Madrid in the coming years yeah. but yeah Ramos is just like epitomises leader uh, and Sid Lowe who writes about Spanish football for the Guardian made a really interesting point and he said he wasn't quite sure if it was he had a theory he wasn't quite sure if it really matches up but it was just something that came to his mind and I think there's something in it that Zidane's Real Madrid have been best in the Champions League and it's when it becomes a knockout competition you've got this number of finite games to win this trophy and that's almost what Liga turned into after the restart that you've got mm. this short spell to yeah. win these games and if you don't then you won't win the trophy whereas in a full league season it's harder to sort of have that long term vision and so Zidane might just be this sort of expert motivator with the goals in sight just to sort of go for it to attack it and to make sure that you don't lose because Real Madrid have been absolutely fantastic since the restart yeah it's like they're almost they just they're fueled by like pure momentum and motivation that's actually that's a really good point I'd never thought of it that way but yeah, yeah definitely that's, he's, there's no way of truth to that yeah Barcelona do, did look a lot better on uh, Sunday night I caught this game and Antoine Griezmann's goal was lovely that chip uh, is reminiscent of Messi's goal against Real Betis last season against mm-hmm. uh, Kiki Setien's Betis funnily enough but um, yeah. it wasn't quite as good Messi's was further wide and I guess it's, <laughs> it's harder when you're not the best player ever but exactly. um, yeah I do think this Barca team need to sort themselves out I think they need to lower the age of that squad I mean the fact that they just swapped Artur for Milan Pjanic a 23 year old for a 30 year old I think is yeah. uh, I think Definitely. Pjanic is a good player and I, but I think Artur he had a, he's not had a great season but in seasons past he's showed himself to be sort of like that heir to Xavi those perfect he does the basics so easily and I think that's just a it's all it all seems to be financially sort of motivated for Barcelona at the moment and I think that's starting to sort of read its ugly head on the pitch for them 
Uh, but do you want to talk about your your relegation side of oh, things? Oh, just and... it's actually more so just Espanol themselves. They're essentially relegated. So we've, I just wanted to bring up because we've talked about them already. Um, yeah. We've talked about them before in this podcast. A really great club, really huge potential. A, a really just a solid club, a solid club that you'd follow um, if you're not from Spain. And um, I think unless they win every single one of their games and all the teams above them lose all of their games, I think. 11 point difference four games left so 12 points to make up um, they're pretty much down I just wanted to mention them so it's a real shame that they're down really a uh, bit of a shock I've got to be soft spot for them I was in a, a train station in Barcelona and my little brother was like playing with the Barcelona cap that he'd got from the new camp when we went to visit and he sort of dropped it and it sort of flew to the opposite side of the seats and this <laughs> this old man sort of uh, picked it up and just like shook his head at the cap and put it and put it behind them so it was harder for my little brother to get to and said Espanol like, you've got to support Espanol um, so I'd sort of I mean it's just one yeah. guy but it just made me think that it's probably like a really nice family club they're very much the underdogs yeah. in Catalonia Definitely. and um, the fact they could just sort of have that laugh and just wind up a couple of tourists rather than sort of like uh, taking it seriously I thought was really nice yeah that's brilliant um, we should also talk about the scenes at the, the Ramon Sanchez Pithuan last night do you want to Take the listeners through that since you sent me that earlier on. Oh, the Sevilla game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Um, was that a, was that a Campos? Yeah, it was Lucas Campos, Campos, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, he he got the eventual winning goal and a one that win for Sevilla. Who were they playing again? Uh, was it Ibar? Yeah, it was Ibar. Ibar, and um, the goalkeeper, I believe he got injured, or was he? I think he got injured in like stoppage time. The game ran on past a hundred minutes, and the hundredth minute, um. While Ibar pushed everyone forward, including their goalkeeper, massive goal mouse scramble. The Ibar goalkeeper puts a, a decent shot in on target, and Lucas Acampos, the winger, in goals, replacing the injured goalkeeper, saves it. And I think it's Jesus Navas, who brilliantly still playing football, um, got on the goal line to clear the rebound after it as well. Just absolute scenes. The other goalkeeper for Ibar on his knees, about in tears, because yeah. he's just missed the opportunity when they get um, equalised for his club. And, uh, brilliant for Lucas Acampos, who I would never see as a backup goalkeeper. I thought he was about five foot eight, but yeah. maybe I'm wrong. That's a weird um, one that he's on his way in, but he he also scored the goal for Sevilla that won them the exactly. game. So uh, yeah, what it's what it's in your daydreaming about football. That's what you love. That's what you're daydreaming. Like you score winning goal and going goals. Quite disappointing. Know? I was I I was looking at a tweet about this, and it said that um, it was like Lucas Acampos becomes the first player um, in La Liga to score a goal and save a shot since and I thought it was going to be like a really impressive stat and then it was like 2017 and I was like <laughs> really? alright so it happens all the time then basically yeah uh, it's just it's a crazy league isn't it um, definitely Juventus are on course for a ninth successive Serie A title after a 4-1 derby win over Torino took the old lady seven points clear at the top of the table Lazio had the chance to cut the deficit later on on Saturday, but it was AC Milan who left the Stadio Olimpico. The victors, as the Rossoneri, picked up a 3-0 win to keep their Europa League hopes alive. Do you think, because I'm really looking forward to a title race in Italy this year, but do you think the restart is, and well, do you think sort of the way that Juventus have pulled away since the restart is just another indicator that these new rules and the sort of new normal of football favours the best teams? Yeah, definitely. They've got a seven-point lead now, I think, and they're just pulling away. Um, Lazio, Inter, and Atalanta, they'll be, maybe more so Atalanta, but they'll be happy because they seem to have Champions League wrapped up. I think it's a good, good drop from fourth to fifth space. So they're all safe, yeah. Um, But yeah, Juve, it it really does favour the bigger team, but it's just, 
it's it's better than not playing. You know, it, it's it's still more fair than ending it. Imagine if they decided to just go, okay, then we'll end up on points per game and Juventus win the league. That's just they'd yeah. have been a lot more unhappy at that. They would at least have a chance to fight back now, yeah. and they've just been unfortunate that they've not been able to get it across the line. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where Juventus go next year because I mean Lazio sort of just their tip challenge came out of nowhere. We know that as we said not with them in this podcast before that Celtic put in fantastic performances both home and away to Lazio in the Europa League group stage, mm-hmm. and, but then they just were powered on to this uh, title challenge. But like like we said. It does really favour these these good teams because Lazio were fine when they were playing once a week, but when you're playing every three four days, yeah. I think they've been really struggling to sort of keep. I know Chiro Mobley missed out this week and some other key players, and that's partly the reason why they were humbled by Milan. But um, Juventus have got an aging squad; they really really need to sort of inject some youth into that. And like 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 I said, I think they're the the benefactors of this uh, Artur Pjanic swap deal. I think. Uh, they're the coming off better in that one, so it'll be interesting to see what other signings Sari makes and if he ends up stamping his style more on this Juventus team because it was incredibly stubborn at Chelsea even when it wasn't working, but then Juventus with this uh, maybe higher expectations in Chelsea, maybe well definitely sort of bigger egos I would say in terms of your likes of Gigi Buffon, Giorgio Chiellini, Cristiano Ronaldo, he's been forced to sort of abandon his. Uh, philosophy and it'll be interesting to see if the additions he makes in the summer are more his sorts of players or if he's completely sort of uh, surrendered to the UV style of football yeah well they, they definitely have an aging squad as well so it's more likely we'll be looking for players to come in to replace your likes of Kaelinis, Buffon's Ronaldo and um, saying that Ronaldo can play forever it seems but maybe the more younger players he brings in he'll maybe sort of like you say, they'll maybe try and get them to fit his system specifically and he'll be teaching them to play his system and they'll just sort of slowly edge into it as he pushes out those older players and replaces them with new, younger talents. Yeah, and there's still a bit to go in Italy but the German football season is now officially over as Werder Bremen secured their Bundesliga survival on away goals thanks to a 2 all draw with Heidenheim that will be remembered as the last game in the legendary career of Claudio Pizarro with the veteran Austrian striker hanging up his boots at the age of 41. He's someone who's just been kicking around their whole lives, Cameron. Yeah, like I remember him like the, the first Pez I ever had, like the first Pro Evo soccer. I remember him on that game. Um, that's how old he is. I think it's twenty odd seasons, way over twenty odd seasons he's played. And apart from a really awful stint at Chelsea that damn near ruined his career, um, definitely in the German football anyway, he'll go down as one of the most sort of lauded players of um, the last twenty years. Um, brilliant title wins with Bayern. Um, did he win a title with Werder when Werder won it? I think he might have. Um, either way, yeah, probably an icon for Bayern fans and a legend for Werder fans anyway. So really great career he's had and so nice that he's, his final, I don't know if he actually played, but his final hurrah was a playoff win that keeps him in the league. Yeah, it's quite brutal on Heidenheim the fact that they've been denied promotion on away goals and empty yeah, stadiums. That is, I, I am not a fan of away goals. I don't know if I've said that to you before. I don't think you have. I, 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 I am 
probably the biggest advocate against away goals. I think it's a ridiculous notion. I think it should just go straight to extra time or go to penalties, whatever. But I think away goals is just cynical. I just don't like it. But then <laughs> extra time and penalties would be would favour the team whose stadium it is in because they've got the fans supporting them. Suppose, but to us, I'm not a biggest fan of extra time either. So <laughs> I wouldn't even mind if it just went straight to penalties. But yeah, not a big fan. It's a real shame because I think Heidenheim have never been in the top league before. Never been in the top flight. Um, so a really miserable way for their season to end but hopefully they can pick themselves back up and maybe come back up next season and another game with high stakes Bayern Munich rounded off another dominant domestic season with a 4-2 win over Bayer Leverkusen in the final of the DFB Pokal Leverkusen arrived in Berlin underdogs and did manage to get on the score sheet thanks to a Sven Bender strike and a late Kai Havertz penalty but Hansi Flick's side completed another domestic double comfortably with goals from David Alaba and Serge Gnabry, as well as a brace from Robert Lewandowski, taking his tally to 51 goals in 43 games in all competitions this season. That's just mental. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> um, it's only, but I still don't understand how people don't rate him. Like, German football isn't like a a farmer's league or whatever no matter what anyone will say and the fact that he's got 51 goals and all comps and still has the Champions League to go yep. by the way which he's absolutely flying him right now um, he could honestly have like 60 goals or something but yeah a brilliant footballer it was a really good win for Bayern uh, obviously they've now got a chance of a treble with the Champions League um, after this double win uh, I felt a little bit bad in Leverkusen they just didn't have it on the day Bayern were just the far superior team Um Especially if I had for Kai Havertz that late penalty. Did you did you catch the game at all? No, no, uh, didn't see it. Um, ah, well, they, they won a penalty like seconds to go. The referee was just about to blow his whistle and they won a penalty. And you just you felt bad he even had to step up to take it because you just knew he was going to blow the whistle anyway. There wasn't a chance to like, grab the ball, go yep. back, try and fight back. It, it's a bit sad to watch. But 4-2 um, is a bit more respectable, I suppose. And um, I don't think you can take it away from Byron. They definitely deserve to win on the day. And you mentioned the Champions League there, and we've, we've seen the fixtures release with that absolutely crazy schedule of yeah. wall-to-wall Champions League and Europa League football coming up uh, in August. We've spoken about it before, but now you've seen more teams featured. Do you think Bayern are still your front runners for uh, Champions League glory? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I know Athletic have seen kind of turned things around recently. Um, who else is still left in the competition? Chelsea won't be because Bayern will not come out, I believe. Um, I think City are still in it. They could maybe be a front runner. Well, I know they had a poor game against Southampton. Real but City, but it was two one at um, it was two one at the Bernabeu. Yeah. So we're still to play the second leg of that. So it'll be interesting mm. to see. Uh, Real could maybe City yeah. have probably you'd say dropped off more than yeah. after restarting. Real Madrid have improved markedly. One. So it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. Juve uh, are go down to Leon, so they will mm. have, but then Leon have played. Literally no football since. Yeah, uh, so UV so definitely. You favorites. would think that UV would be able to overcome that deficit, but yeah, I think, I think Bayern Munich are the favourites. I think I would agree with you on that one. Yeah. Um, the only thing is now that's they won't be playing football until uh, the Champions League starts back up again. It's good that they have that sort of game against Chelsea where the result is very much uh, yeah, wrapped up. You would think yeah, to sort of get the players again. firing again. Mm-hmm. But uh, what a season it'll be for Hansi Flick if they can oh, yeah, add the Champions definitely. League and do that do the treble. We'll round off the show with our game of the week to look forward to. What have you gone with, Cameron? You were conflicted. Um, I'm actually not sure. I've got two Arsenal games, to be honest. They've got two good games this week, Tuesday and Sunday. They take on Leicester at home and Spurs away. I'll say North London derby. I'll probably I'll go with the North London derby just because they're so close in the table. Um 
they're really whoever wins that could potentially jump above each other uh, a lot on the line we've already spoke about how Europe is so important to each team this season um, and Arsenal come off the back of a tough Leicester game on Tuesday don't know how they'll be doing but yeah I just think that'll be a great game as it usually always is it's quite an exciting derby to watch so that's my pick what about yourself I believe you've gone more exotic well I have but I think we need to ban Tottenham Hotspur being in any game of the week <laughs> I just that game has just made me last night I've just can't be bothered with sports. But it's a North London derby. They're usually pretty exciting I games. Think Maybe Mourinho will just open up this time. I think it was um Seb Stafford Blur from Tifo and Football Three Six Five. He tweeted yesterday that he feels like he's a Spurs fan and he said that it just feels like Spurs players always collect the ball these days when they're standing, like in a static position. And yeah. it's so true. Like, Pochettino's teams were fast-paced and it was it, dynamic and exciting and this Spurs I still maintain is so boring. I still maintain that Mourinho's just not the right fit. He yeah. really isn't. Like He was maybe a quick solution to a, a staggering season, but it's, it's not still staggering. Philosophy. It's not just, good. It's exactly, just, yeah. it's not worked. That's what I'm saying. They've given this like longer deal and it's just not a good idea. But I am hoping, I am hoping that it's an exciting game on Sunday. If not, we'll just say I said Arsenal-Leicester, which probably will be more exciting. Yeah, let's go with that. Um, well, my, <laughs> my game of the week features the antithesis of Tottenham Hotspur, and that's Atalanta as they travel to Juventus oh, on Sunday. That. Yeah, I just think, <laughs> I mean, Atalanta, I always check out their highlights. I think I've done it for every game this season because they're just, they're so exciting to watch. They're so, mm-hmm. such good fun. Um, they've scored 106 goals in 40 games this season. Wow. Uh, that's 2.65 goals a game. Uh, it's just mad. Uh, but then they come up against the best defence in the league, just 26 goals conceded by Juve. Uh, Dybala's out of tonight's game against Milan at San Siro, but hopefully be back for the game in Turin against Atalanta because he's been the best player in Italy since the restart. And do you know what? I'm glad that it's quite full circle. I'm glad that Paolo Dybala has not been wasted at Tottenham Hotspur. I'm yeah. glad that, because that, obviously that deal was quite close to going through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, maybe that would have completely changed the course of time and it would have really worked for Pochettino and he'd still be there. But I just think if Paolo Dybala was wasting his life away in Jose, a Jose Mourinho team, I would be, I'd be devastated. <laughs> It'd be an absolute sin. Absolutely. It definitely would be. That's what's um... So I just wanted to say something as well. I, a minute ago I got up to that Atlanta fixtures just while we were talking about Serie A because um, I hadn't really seen anything of them since lockdown. I heard they only beat Cagliari 1-0 and I thought, oh, maybe they've became quite boring. But their results since the lockdown are yeah. 4-1, 3-2, 3-2, 2-0. 2-0 against Napoli. That's unbelievable. They're the only team that's probably had a high-scoring game every single game up until now um, since the restart in all of the leagues because it's been quite... A lot of the games have been quite boring. A lot of teams have been struggling to like 1-0, 2-0 wins but they're still as exciting as they were before and that's pretty impressive. Uh, just while we were talking about Italy, I just remembered that um, one of my pals was about to win £800 on Saturday before um, Inter Milan blew a 1-0 and man advantage lead against Bologna to lose 2-1. Oh. Goals in the 75 and 80th minute when they were a man up. Well, that that just shows them that he deserves it for not backing Bologna. I know, I thought that's it was, his fault. It was so Why ple- wouldn't you back them? It was so, it was so pleasing. Um... <laughs> That'll get time. That seems like a good note to end on. So uh, yeah, please definitely. do subscribe to Energy Extra Time so it gets straight in your podcast feed. You can follow us on Twitter at ENRG Extra Time and keep an eye on Energy Sport for loads of written content, audio content. The Fantasy Ramble will be out later this week and we'll be back soon to talk more about 
all the football. So it's a bye from Cameron. Goodbye. And bye from me. See you later.